Welcome to Surviving Saturday, a podcast about holding on to hope in the midst of life's difficulties, disappointments, and dark seasons. Times like that remind us of the agony and despair the followers of Jesus felt on the Saturday of Easter weekend, in between the Friday on which he was crucified and the Sunday on which he rose from the dead. That Sunday forever changed the way that humans can relate to God. But what does it look like to be honest about the very real pain we experience in the in-between? To fervently cling to hope in the God who promised us His peace and His presence at times when He feels distant or even cruel. I'm Wendy Osborne, a licensed counselor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm her husband, Chris, a marriage mediator, conflict resolution coach, and trauma-informed story work coach. Join us each episode for authentic conversations about how life not turning out as we'd expected has created the contextual soil for the growth of a tenacious hope in the resurrection and in a God who is still making all things new. Hey there, I am Chris Osborne. And I'm Wendy. Welcome to the Surviving Saturday podcast. We have been talking about my favorite episode so far of The Chosen. Well, and we've been talking about sometimes about just how, how much we love The Chosen, just mm-hmm. because it's made scripture passages that we've heard for years and sort of run through and read really fast and mm-hmm. in a very white Western way. It's really brought them to life. It's given context to the people who were involved in Jesus' ministry, the people who traveled with yes. him. Yes, yes. And so you, say, you were saying there was an episode that, that really kind of struck you and, and you've been sort of you know chewing on a little bit. What, what, which one was that? Yeah, the one I think we saw maybe like a week ago. Um, and we're behind a little bit. We're not yet on season four, or season, not done with season three even. So um, they were in the camp, all the apostles and Jesus, and a demon-possessed man wanders in, and he's clearly in distress. Yes. He's He seems angry. He seems demanding. He seems afraid. His body is cut. Um, Mary, yeah, he's been harming himself, you can yeah. tell. To either, and it's made there, either the demon's telling him to or he's trying to do it to get the demon out. You really don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but it's painful to see. Very painful to see. And Mary steps over with a couple of others um, to try to help him. And, you know, I'm not a, um, I don't have an MDiv, so I, I don't know exactly what here is completely true to scripture and what is not but what struck me as i was watching is that as she tries to speak help to him and care for him he begins to call her by a name that the the story would imply in the series that she went by before she met Jesus. Now, I don't know if she, I I know Lilith is not in scripture, but I don't know if she had had a name change, but where it took me was, you know, Jesus and everyone who knows her now uses this name, Mary. Mary Mary, Mary Magdalene, not his mother, Mary, who's also with them, which was a surprise to me how much she's traveling with him. Yeah. Which is scriptural, and I had no idea. And so I was thinking about, you know, the passage that says, Jesus has called us by name. We are his. I've called you by name. You're mine. Um, And that just led me to think, there are names that 
I believe evil uses for us Mm. that are in contradiction to the glory that God designs for us to live out of and that keep us far more contained and far less free in who Jesus is making us to be. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a passage in Revelation, I don't remember where it is, but that talks about um, Jesus will give, everybody will have a new name. There's the name that was written yep. for you in the book of life. Yes. It's written on a stone yes. um, without getting you know bogged down in the actual theology of it. But I, I resonate with that whole idea of there's a true name, a true self. Um, uh, I think Bebo Norman had an album years ago. It's called Myself When I Am Real. And I love that title because it's like, yeah. you know, there's a difference between the me that's real that's grounded, that's present, can engage with others, and the me that's, it's still me, but it's its less me. It's more the shadow side. Yeah. You might yeah. use a union term, but, um, and I, I was struck by that same scene in that uh, Mary's the one who recognizes what's going on in the man because we do know from scripture uh, she had had demons cast out of her. Yes, which is such a precious part of the story. And I think why she was among those who stepped over to help him. Yes, yeah, so she's drawn to him. She recognizes him. She knows, okay, don't just, you know, shame him, but rather recognize this is this is serious evil going on. I think she saw the larger battle yes. that was at play. And then when she steps into it, the demon sort of takes over, you can see, in the guy. Yeah. And it's not even, is he there? Is he trying to, you know, is he making sense? All of a sudden, the demon is addressing her directly. And says, Lilith, we know you, essentially. Yeah, it feels, it felt to me in watching it like the retaliatory nature of evil. Of who do you think you are? Yes, it's definitely To live into who Jesus is calling you to be. Yes, and there's this mockery and this scorning and this attempt at power. And thankfully, Jesus shows back up in time and is able to cast him out. And he hadn't done that before in the presence of everybody. So it's kind of a, a big, huge moment. And you can see this man come back to himself. But I think what you said too, that you were struck by was what effect did that have on Mary afterwards? Kind yeah, of facing so, that evil. So Mary began to question who she was. That's how I interpreted it. And so we see her then go back to some of her former ways of life. And no one knows where she's gone, but suddenly she has disappeared. And so I began to think about how often I have done that or um, the pull that I often feel from evil to not believe who Jesus says that I am. Yeah, and what what would you say are things that that sort of pull you in that direction or or make you forget the, the redemption that you've experienced? I think when I get afraid, and I think particularly if I taste rejection of some sort, okay, then I can go into a place of feeling futile, mm-hmm. that my efforts are meaningless, and a sense of, why try? Is okay. it even worth it? And so what does that look like if a person saw you kind of going that direction, how would they, how would they pick up on it or would they? How would they know? So I think first, um, you could probably notice on my face that the joy and the hope, 
um, drain. And I think I, um, I become less outwardly focused mm-hmm. and I become very self-protective. So, you know, I think the name that evil would often use, and there are many, I'm sure, but sure. the ones that come immediately to mind are small and contained or mm. small and compliant. Yeah. And I think that in my early days of life, like as a kid, I got a lot of affirmation for being both physically and behaviorally small. Yeah. And very cooperative. So yes. that's what teachers liked about me. She's a bundle of joy. She is such a good girl. Um, I remember pats on the head from my you know, relatives. You're such a good little girl. And that felt to me like the most important thing I could do. Like don't ruffle feathers. Don't make waves. Mm-hmm. Be good. And don't really require much. And if you, do you have, uh, do, you, do you remember times that you maybe experimented with being something different or, or took up more space and kind of there was, there was a, a, a consequence or some kind of way that somebody communicated, this is not welcome? Yeah, so I think for me, a lot of the time it was around um, the way that I expressed emotions. Mm-hmm. I was too afraid um, to really act out right. and like misbehave sure but um you know i was the only girl in my family and so my emotions might have been closer to the surface than that of my brothers who just were more physically oriented sure and so i think people in my life didn't know what to do with big expressions of anger or of sadness right And so, you know, I might be told things like, are you really going to let that bother you? Or you're never going to make it if things upset you this way. Um, And so I just internalized that I needed to be unaffected. The message kind of sounds like it it wasn't worth it to get upset. Right, right, right. Um, And and I guess there's almost a resignation to your fate. Well, what are you going to do? You know, people disappoint you or whatever. Yep. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about it. When our 23-year-old turned 18, she wanted to get a tattoo. And so mm-hmm. she and her childhood best friend were going to get a matching tattoo. Yeah. And she and I decided we would get a matching tattoo. And so she wanted to get a tattoo of an elephant. And so... She told me, you know, Mom, I'm learning that elephants mean to take up your space in the world. Yes. And so I was like, well, that sounds great. That's what I'm wanting to learn to do. And so we both got this cute little elephant tattooed on our ankle. Yes. And um, it kind of has been a frequent reminder that I'm learning to not be so small. Right. And to grow maybe into who God has made me to be. And so this has been, you know, this was five years ago. And back in December, I was talking with a friend and she was telling me 
Um, well, we were first talking about this documentary on elephants oh, that you yeah. and I have been watching. Yes. The Secrets and of the Elephants on, on Disney+. Disney Plus. Yes. Because apparently there are a lot of documentaries made about elephants. That's right. and But they're not all narrated by Natalie Portman, which no. this one is, which makes it really good. And this one's broken up into bite-sized episodes. Yes. So, but I was struck by how human-like elephants are. They band together. Yes. They surround each other at milestone times of life. They're, they, they're kind of matriarchal, like in, in this sort of societal structure. Like the men kind of, or the male elephants go off on their own. Yeah. And disappear. Yeah. Looking for more conquest or something. But the, the, the females travel together, but they sort of raise their kids as a They pack. raise their kids together and they, they grieve and they mark um, the place where a loved elephant died. Yes. And so we were talking about this documentary and my friend shared about a story she had read in the news and it happened last fall and I think it was in Malaysia. Okay. And a man and his wife and 20-something-year-old son were driving on a highway in a remote part of Malaysia and they came around a curve and they hit an elephant cup. And I don't know how badly the cub was injured. It was stopped in its tracks. I'm assuming it let out a screech because part of what we've learned in this elephant documentary is they have a language. Yeah. They had the one woman on there who was saying she knows all the different brays and bleats and she could tell what's about to happen when she hears yeah. a particular noise. If they're hungry or mad yeah, or it's super sophisticated. grieving. Yeah. And so this elephant cub said something. And because, like you said, it's a matriarchal society, all these mama elephants are walking ahead of it. And they hear what has happened, and they turn around, <laughs> and they surround the car, and they start smashing the bumper and stepping on the hood. And my friend said, you know, breaking out the windows of the car. I didn't see that part in the news report I yeah. read, but she seemed to have seen that. And when they were satisfied that they had made their message clear, yeah. they took the cub and they left. And, you know, I don't know if this man could drive his car. I don't I know how terrified yeah. the family was. Right. But I was like, wait a minute. I... Like, mama elephants, I said this to somebody, and they were like, forget mama bear. Yeah, like, mama, mama, mama elephant, elephant is where it's at. Because they travel in a pack, that's the thing, and they're all going to mess you up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I was thinking more about this tattoo and this, this largeness that I decided at least five years ago to begin to claim. Yeah. Like, I don't want to live small. Right. <coughs> or compliant. I'm not out to break all the rules. And but or there, all the windows. Or all the windows. <laughs> right. But there are times when life has needed me to advocate for the powerless. Yes. Or I have needed to step in and um, lift someone up who has been oppressed in a way. Right. Right. Which you do. By that. cruel power. Right. I was struck as you were saying that too like in thinking about kind of our journey and conflict and i'm remembering early on when we would have arguments and we didn't even know what they were you you would go small and you were you would almost go mute or at least silent and you didn't you couldn't even name what you were feeling 
And for me, that was terrifying because I couldn't fix anything. All I knew was you're upset, but you didn't know why. So I didn't know why. And, and, but I did notice what you were talking about earlier, how you would, you, you kind of get small and I would say, you, you know, you lose eye contact. Like you don't want to look oh, yeah. and see. You, you stop looking and, and it feels like it's punishment to me, but for you, it's often, I don't want to see, I don't want to be seen. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you say that, so when I was really young and I would feel the loss of connection that came from me exhibiting an emotion that the adults in my life didn't know what to do with. Yeah. I would go and be alone. I would go mm. outside or I would go in my bedroom mm-hmm. because, you know, when you talk about the eye contact, if I was looking for an adult to comfort me, it wasn't happening. In an emotion that they didn't know what to do with in their own bodies. Right. Then the, the searching with my eyes was painful. Oh, that makes a lot and of sense. And so I learned to go into my room and do something to distract or comfort myself. Play with my dolls, play outside in the woods, you know, do something. And so, yeah, I brought that into marriage of I'm going to retreat. Yeah. And I'm not going to look at you, which is another way of saying I will not need or rely on you. I yes. will turn inward. Yes. And do what I have to to be okay. And you're not necessarily doing it with the intent to punish me. No. But it felt that way to me. I mean, I'm I sure there were that times yeah. Yeah. that Maybe. I so wanted you to be able to help me. Sure. That it was like, oh no, you're not doing it so fine, you've lost me. Right. But I think okay. more so, it was, I didn't know what to do when I felt those big feelings. Yes, yes. Um, I didn't trust that you or anyone else could really meet me there. Yeah, and I'm struck by, I can tell a difference now. There are times when we're having a disagreement, we're frustrated about something, but you meet me with this strength that is noticeable. And I and it, and it's not you powering up and saying, here I come, I'm going to smash your car and smash your windows. It's not that energy. There's a presence and a solidity where you're like, I'm going to stay with this. And I know this is upsetting you. And I know, or you don't like to hear this, but I think it's important. Like there's a different vibe that is compelling. It, it I don't, I, I'm not gonna say I love it and I automatically just cave on everything, but I take That'd be notice. Nice. It would be nice if I, if it just worked. And, not really. And, but. Uh, no, but, but there's a strength and a solidity to it. That's really attractive because it's you, you're, you are, you are holding the space that you are supposed to have right sized. You're not dis- disappearing and retreating and not showing up, but you're also not trying to power me through. You will see this. Um, there's a solidity, and it's hard to, hard, much harder to argue with mm. because I'm like, you know, you're not wrong, and you're not threatening me. You're just being, and, yeah. and, you're, and you're saying, I have this need. I have this desire. I want this to be different, and there's times I've ignored that or I've tried to dismiss it or explain something away. Well, and I think it's moving out of isolation and shame and claiming hope that just maybe this time you might meet me there yes. or someone might. Yes. Um, that maybe the rejection I feel, and that may be in another sphere that may have nothing to do with you, but maybe sure. the rejection will not have the final word. Maybe there's a way that I can continue to hold on to my goodness no matter what 
is happening with the way another person engages me. Yes. And and I think an interesting dynamic then is, you know, how often are we able to catch ourselves drifting into that older way of reacting and, and how we pull ourselves back. In The Chosen, what happens is, you know, Mary goes off the grid, disappears, but everybody in the apostolic crew loves her so much, they're like, we got to go find her. And they go and find her. And at first she's like, you know, don't bother with me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't deserve his love. Yeah. I'm not worthy. I've gone back so many times is what she says in the episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I love the tenderness that they bring her of like, do you, you know, she, she's worried about what Jesus is going to think. Yeah. Because she went back to it. And they're like, don't you remember him? You know him. Mm-hmm. He's going to love you like he has. Mm-hmm. He's going to be that same welcoming. And she doesn't trust it instinctively, but she trusts them enough to go back. Yes. But she's still battling that shame. You can tell. I love how they depict that. And she's mm-hmm. still like, oh, I'm going to be reprimanded. Well, and I love the scene where they take her to Jesus' tent. And again, this is the producer's conjecture. but. Yeah. It was beautiful for me in my own faith development because they, you know, make sure he's willing to see them. Yeah. And then the way that they remove the curtain to oh, the tent, yeah. yeah. To me reminded me of the veil in the temple. Oh, yeah. And so like that is removed and then she and those who have brought her back to him are face-to-face with Jesus. Yes. And he even says, again, in the episode, but I like to think this is how it would have really happened, will you lift your eyes up and look at me? Yes. Because she has the same thing, you know, and shame and fear leave us dropping our eyes. We use the word downcast. Yeah. Like downcast, your face down, head down, eyes down. Yeah. And he says, will you lift your eyes and look at me? Yes. And then as he's hugging her, he says something about, you know, all that you have to do every time is come back. Yes. And that reminds me of another passage in scripture that I've clung to for years, you know, where um, the, the scripture is saying, and after all of this has happened, you're just called to stand. Like just, I remember a pastor telling me at one time, you know, it just means you just got to get back up. Yes. You're going to fall. You're going to return to the old way. And will you just stand up again? Yeah. And so I, I was just so struck by the grace and this playing with these categories of our true name that Jesus is calling us to live into. Yes, yes. And this name that darkness would have us believe and therefore live according to. Yes. I, I'm thinking two different things in that, and I'll spit them out quickly, see which one gets traction. But one, there's a, a Toby Max song that keeps coming to my head. And the course is just, we lose our way, we get back up again. It's never too late to get yeah. back up again. Get up, you're going to shine again. Maybe knock down, but not down forever. You know, I love yeah. that. Just, hey, look, yes, those, we're going to get pulled back into yeah. evil sometimes, even after we've tasted redemption. Yes. And they keep depicting that. That's the other thing on, on yes. the disciple crew, everything. Everybody's pulled back and forth, and their old self still, you know, wants to rise up. And then one of the other, uh, you know, people in the crew will say, hey, but we're different now. Remember? Uh, like, we just watched the episode where the 12 are sent out, and they send out Simon the Zealot, who's been training for war with Rome, 
and Matthew, the tax collector, who had been working, for <laughs> been working for Rome and uh-huh. gotten rich and taken advantage of all the Jewish people. And everybody's like, how are those two going to go together? And Jesus is like, hey, you're not who you were. None of you are. Yeah. That's why you're here with me. And that resonates really that you're, you're not who you were. The truest, what's true about you is not that small, mm-hmm. compliant, disappearing person. Uh-huh. What's truest about you is the, the kindness and wisdom that you can bring. And, and a woman who loves truth and loves goodness and yet is not compelled by fear mm. to pursue those things. Yes. But is driven by love. Yes, because I feel that when you are coming to me with love, the message that you're bringing, even if it's hard, I can, I can, I'm more likely to receive it. Again, not always right away, but it's I, I, I can't write it off. Like you're just afraid, or you're just you know demanding, or whatever. Mm. Like there's, and, and I would say there's the same difference. That the, there's different energies with which I come to you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. can tell when I am doing something or moving to towards you in a way that's really more about me whether i could name it or not and it's more about what i'm worried about or fearful of versus Mm -hmm. i'm coming to you in true kindness yeah oh yeah like we 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 don't realize we give off that vibe yep um as much um yeah so i love just that metaphor of you know being able to dial into who you really are Mm -hmm. and and let that be the war let that be the war of, is this really, in any particular situation, am I living out you know, the, the identity that God's given me, mm-hmm. that he's rescued me from, that he's let me taste redemption in, or am I defaulting to something? Mm-hmm. Am I defaulting to a way that is natural for my body? Like It's almost like Mary's encounter with the demoniac is like, it, it has this gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really the world for me. Yeah. And she went back. We don't know what her intentions were, but she gets sucked back into it. And that, that part resonated for me of I, I gravitate back to things that I've been freed from that I know bring only death. Mm-hmm. But there's sometimes something's at work in me. The pull is too strong. Yeah. And for me, that's, and we can talk about that in another episode, uh, but the, the, the feeling of overwhelm, the feel of powerlessness, mm-hmm. um, there are ways that my body learned to sort of cope with that or to, to try to stave it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, any other thoughts that you have? Yeah, so I was just thinking yeah. kind of the way I picture vacillating between these two names yeah. um, is the name and the way that Jesus calls me to live. Mm-hmm. I feel is going to have a lot to do with the battle that I have done with evil against the way it has named me to keep me contained. And so by that, I mean, without his redemptive work Mm -hmm. to counteract the small and the compliant. I'll be big and here I am Rash. and you will listen and I will be unapologetic. And that would not be living into the name where Jesus says, you are more than you have been. Yes. Like my word for this year is more. And okay. I want to bring more risk and um, consider my goodness more and where it might be 
beneficial to the world that I live in. But that is very different than just a reaction against evil's desire to keep me small. Yeah, I was talking about this with somebody recently who um, had expressed, you know, uh, a struggle that I could relate to as well, um, running into their own anger and how it's expressed and feeling sort of terrified and they want to they want to change but they're like so does this mean i say nothing mm. does it mean i don't do anything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and i was you know my my encouragement to him was well y- you might sometimes it might you know we we don't really i know my own story was i didn't correct without overcorrecting uh-huh. like for so i brought an excess of words to our fights and conflicts i learned at some point oh i don't have to do that Sometimes I need to sit in silence. Sometimes I need to be quiet. But then I got a little too enamored of silence. I'm like, I don't have to get into this fight. I'm going to just and I think chuck that's it in if we are changing our behavior unto Jesus' redemption in our life, Ooh. or unto our own self preservation. That's really and good there's wording. a big difference. That's really good wording because yeah, the Jesus journey for me is that invitation to not just the counter. Yeah, because because really when we when we start thinking about our story roots for how we act, we can we can reenact in two ways. We can reenact by being the old self, the old person, or we can reenact by saying, "Oh hell no, I'm not going mm-hmm. through that again." You'll hear me roar. Mm-hmm. I'll get big. I'll you know be loud or smart or whatever. Um, the Jesus invitation is, you know, is not even the middle isn't even the right word. It's just, hey, this is what love looks like. Mm-hmm. And it means you speak when you should speak and you're silent when you should be silent. And there's no perfect roadmap for that. Right. And like, as we close, you know, I'm not sure the elephant mamas were following Jesus when they destroyed the car. <laughs> no, that's probably... But they were being incredibly protective of their little kid. Yes. Somebody, that was one of their babies. That's right. And they clearly said, not on our watch. Do not miss that we will protect. And there's something holy in that. There's something very holy. And we will do what we need to do um, to love. And again, you know, I I don't think, you know, Jesus was necessarily smiling. Although he might have laughed. It's kind of a funny (laughs) story. Right. Um, because the people, I have to clarify, the people in the car were not harmed. They okay, are fine. That's good. They that's good. are fine. I don't think their car is fine. Which means the elephants probably had some, you know, some restraint as well. I mean, they could, Absolutely. They, they could have said, hey, you're the man who drove this thing. Now, maybe oh, they didn't know better, but. I think they were just sending a message. That's right. Here's the message. You're not going to do this. This is the instrumentality. This would be a hard no that yeah. you will get away with this here. Well, and I love that image of, you know, that the kindness of Jesus, the journey I've been on too in, in dealing with the, the the darker parts of what I am drawn to in in the in the fearful self um, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance yep. it's people reflecting and resonating his kindness mm-hmm. and bearing it um, that that is is beautiful and, and so I love the idea of you know the disciples have to go get Mary and bring her back mm-hmm. other people had to cut a hole in the roof to get their paralyzed friend to see Jesus mm-hmm that communal element I think is beautiful Mm -hmm. as well. It's not just we need to come back. Sometimes our friends need to, we need to have friends that are good enough that they'll drag us to Jesus. They'll drag us. And I think I've been thinking too, who can I count on to take me to him? And who is asking me, who is he asking me to take to him? Oh, that's beautiful. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take care. 
And if you are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. The Surviving Saturday podcast is brought to you by Nurture Counseling PLLC, a counseling teaching and training center based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We help families flourish one story at a time. Nurture Counseling provides counseling, counseling intensive for couples, conflict resolution coaching, story work groups, seminars, workshops, and retreats to provide a safe and welcoming context for exploring the agonizing experiences of pain, brokenness, and evil that disrupt our lives and that God often uses to nurture deeper trust and intimacy with Him and with each other. You can find us online at www.nurturecounseling.net.